Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. This episode was originally recorded and published by Nate and Angeline Bagley of the Mormon Marriages Podcast. And it is the 32nd installment of the series called Ask a Mormon Sex Therapist. If you enjoy this episode, please remember to rate the podcast and leave a review. Doing so helps even more people find and benefit from this content. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. We're here with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Yes. One of our favorite people. <laughs> it's. I feel like this last year has been so nuts. It's made it really hard for. I mean, for everybody. We've had a baby, yeah. and that was really hard. And everybody's been going through stuff. And so, being able to like sit down and get together and talk to people that we care about about topics that are fun and that we care about has been uh, something that we've missed a lot. So it's mm-hmm. really cool at the beginning of uh, 2021 to be able to sit down and have a chat with you. So thank you for yeah. being here. Thanks for having me. And I put my new microphone that is a gift from Nate and Angelin. <laughs> it sounds you so earned good. that gift. This <laughs> has to stop. The recording quality is so bad. <laughs> it sounds great though. I love it. So <laughs> glad I'm glad you showed up prepared. We can put on we can put on an audio spectacle for our listeners. Yeah. So we've got a handful of really great great questions, great questions um, to jump into. But I know a lot of times when we do this, we kind of start off with a couple of announcements where you share with us what you've got going on and what's happening in your world. Is there anything you want to talk about before we dive in? Um, just Well, we started our Valentine's Day sale on all of our courses and it started today. So oh, great. we're all 20% off and it's a great Valentine's Day gift. And then also I did a one good thing about COVID is I did the men's sexuality course, The Art of Loving, and it's now available for purchase through online yes there's a there is a a screeching (laughs) (laughs) that's one one thing with this podcast we'll have to um get used to is finding child care for (laughs) short little hours so we did not do that today so if you hear a little rattle or Or if you hear a little squeal we'll just keep going she agrees with what we're saying (laughs) she agrees it's our little it's our little human (laughs) yeah anyways Sorry, so that, that men's sexuality course is now available for purchase. And so, yeah, yeah, it's a. I've heard nothing but good things about that, by the way. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, I hang out with a lot of your, the guys who went through that the very first time as you were creating it. And they yeah. just kept coming back and going, like, it's so good. It's so good. Oh, so, yeah, so glad. congratulations yeah. on that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. All as right. if we could expect anything different from you, right? <laughs> You're nice. All right. Okay, so let's dive into some questions. We have how many questions? Just th- well, we have three lined up, but we'll see how okay. the time goes. We'll just go. We'll play it by ear. But this is the first one. Do you want to read it? Sure. Um, can you move it over just a little bit? Yeah. There you go. All right. Hi, Jennifer. I have been reading Dr. Schnarch's books. In Resurrecting Sex, he talks about subjective subjective arousal and how to enhance your sexual experience with more than just physical stimulation. I grew up in the LDS culture, and I have unknowingly been repressing my sexuality for years. I have been married for 15 years and felt a lot of desire for the first half. 
After my fourth baby was born, my sexual desire seemed to evaporate, and I did my best to make peace with it instead of turning to anger at my body and God's plan. How could God's plan involve me never wanting sex? I could still orgasm with physical stimulation, but it was always a lot of work and took more time than I thought it was worth. Even with less desire, my husband and I are blessed to have a beautiful relationship. Two weeks ago, we discovered your work, and we have been listening to hours of content so far. We both have a new lens of understanding, and I have felt more desire in the past two weeks than I have in the past seven years. I have felt like a newlywed again. We both have. It has been so fun to have so much meaningful sex without worrying about validating each other, but I still can't figure out what actually turns me on. How do I discover subjective arousal and add it to the physical to have a full expression of my sexuality? I am planning... Oh, sorry. I clicked. <laughs> I am planning on signing up for your Art of Desire course soon when I can schedule some intentional time for it. Thanks for all your work, asking and finding answers to tough questions. Okay, great. Well, first of all, I'm just really happy for her because she's already starting, it sounds like, to understand this subjective arousal because there's been a meaning shift that has happened through listening to the podcasts and reading David Schnarch's work. It sounds like where she's no longer taking care of, it sounds like there, there was a meaning that was bogging it down, which is kind of taking care of the feelings of your spouse to the degree that it actually interferes with her own arousal and so there's something that's been freed up there and that might be worth her really um, being able to articulate to herself what is it that's shifted that's really allowed us to feel like newlyweds again because it's it's not as fleeting as it might sound or or, or appear this challenge because when people are younger they often feel like um, and get educated in this idea that arousal you know, subjective arousal is to play with fire, you know, is to dance with Satan in a sense. And so people can you, can you define what subjective arousal is. Sure. Th thank you for asking that. So first of all, there's physiological arousal, which you don't have any choice about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if your body gets stimulated, your genitals get stimulated, your body is going to become physiologically aroused. Mm-hmm which may be different than whether or not you want to be sexual. And so there's research that will show that somebody sees an erotic image or sees something sexual and they will become physiologically aroused, but have no subjective desire. That doesn't mean that they want to be sexual in that moment. And women in particular actually get aroused much more than they will even acknowledge. That is to say that they lubricate you know, that, they're, that there's more blood flow to the genitals. So they're getting physiologically aroused, but they don't necessarily desire to have sex because women as a collective tend to be pickier about when to be sexual. For men, it's a little closer to one-to-one. -one. That sort of physiological and psychological goes together more readily as a group, right? Not everybody's the same among men or among women, but that's generally true. So this psychological arousal is when do I want to, in fact, be sexual? What turns me on? What makes me want to engage my sexuality? And so physiological arousal, of course, helps. And for many people, just allowing themselves to get physiologically aroused, meaning to start touching one another, um, for example, or start thinking sexual thoughts, allows them to get physiologically aroused and helps to move them towards the psychological desire. 
right? So the psychological desire is like, yes, okay, I want to be sexual with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so thinking about like why why do some people have a harder time finding that subjective arousal or that sort of psychological desire to be sexual? And there's a lot of reasons why you might. Um, you may well be capable of arousal physiologically, but you may have issues going on in your marriage, meanings that what being sexual with your spouse make being sexual undesirable to you. Uh, you may be afraid of your arousal because you're afraid that this is, you know, again, playing with the wrong kinds of thoughts, the wrong kinds of feelings, and you're just, you'd rather just accommodate your spouse, but you don't necessarily want to create those intense feelings of desire because often what creates um, subjective arousal is to play with ideas that are naughty. <laughs> okay. Taboo. Yes. Yeah. Taboo ideas. Right. Often. You have to kind of access your shadow. That's right. Exactly. So playing with these forbidden ideas and so on. And, and so for those of us who are really afraid that that means that we are having unrighteous thoughts or that's going to take us on a path, to the dark side will not want to facilitate that subjective arousal. Hmm. So one of the things that it sounds like is happening for the person asking this question is it there's something shifting in her meaning where she's feeling a little more freedom around facilitating this sexual arousal, this subjective arousal. And so once people feel like there is room to consider what turns me on, what are the ideas that really make me feel sexual, even if they're ideas I'm not proud of, okay? But I'm willing to think about what those ideas are. Then you start to open up the possibility of figuring out what are the ideas and the um, meanings that are important to me. So, you know, in the Art of Desire course, I do help women with that by giving them different questions of, you know, what if they were going to place an ad for a lover, you know, who, who would that lover be? What would he be like? What would he do? Um, what would be his characteristics and his qualities? That's one of the several exercises. But, you know, paying attention to themes in movies that make you feel more romantic, make you feel more affectionate, make you feel more sexual. What are the meanings that are happening in those narratives? Because there's often... Um, you'll find, and I help women in the course with this to see once they go through these sort of different experiences, there's often themes that consistently appeal. And, you know, um, for many women, they're quite terrified of the fact that one of my uh, clients said to me, you know, she's actually like a feminist writer. Very, She's like, my, my feminist self is not proud of my fantasies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, a lot of times in, in sexual play, there is this desire to play with hierarchy, with Mm -hmm. um, dominance and submission. And that's very different than what people want to have be true in their day-to-day lives. Mm -hmm. But in the sexual realm, there's something about that, that that people will immediately gravitate to those kinds of meanings because they're arousing. Who knows why, but it is a kind of grown-up play. I I was, uh, my I've been staying with my, my husband and I've been staying with my mom a little bit and she has a puppy and we have a golden retriever and my golden retriever and this puppy would always play. Well, 
it was really interesting for me to watch them play because they would tussle and turn, you know, all these things. And the little puppy would always take the dominant position and that my golden retriever would always take the submissive position. And they were both wanted to be playing hundred percent. In fact, my golden would go and sort of like invite it and then go into the submissive position. Uh Exactly. You got me. You got me. Exactly. And, and so they play with this sort of pseudo aggression and pseudo submission. And it's like, clearly they, they do it every single day. And so I just was like, this is sort of like grown up sexuality. You're playing with these roles. Many women, not all women, but many women love that subjective, that, that's, I'm sorry, that pseudo submission, that sort of ability to, um, what's the way to say it? Like, you know, submit to the pleasure, yeah. to be taken over, to not have to do any more work, especially women who are often kind of over-functioning everywhere else, to be able to be given to in this way is highly arousing, even though they may appeal to themes of submission or passivity, because that's partly what arouses them. You know, some women like more dominant um, um, positions. Like I have a client who never felt much desire, but then when she could imagine she was the queen and she was telling the servant what to do and things like that, then she had all kinds of desire around activities that might otherwise be unappealing to her. So you can, that's just one frame playing with themes of innocence. For example, breaking convention is often, you know, an appealing idea, but allowing yourself to think about what appeals to me without fear of the answer. You know, I think a lot of what gets us into trouble is we're so afraid of our eroticism and we're so afraid that it is going to control us that we don't have the distance from it to just be curious and learn something from it and know that we're ultimately the decision makers in it. Um, Yeah. I like that you say we're ultimately the decision makers in it because, sorry, (laughs) because when you're exploring these ideas, just because one idea might seem, um, interesting doesn't mean that that has to be interesting to you for forever if you decide to try it and maybe it isn't doesn't that's end right. up being what you thought it was that's right you can, you can put that away that's right I remember when we were first married just having thinking it would be so cool and so sexy to like have sex in a car and I thought that, that would be so fun and we, we decided to try it once and we went driving up a canyon trying to find a secluded spot and it's better than the movies. Oh yeah. yeah it the was paranoia like, was high. No, the space no, no. was cramped and we ended up deciding this is not a great idea. Better, in fantasy. better in fantasy than actually yeah. trying to play it out. I think that's that was something I learned about myself that sometimes yes. I have this idea that would be fun to play out like in the safety of our home versus Absolutely. actually trying to go and do it. Yeah, but so cool that you tried to do it. I mean, but yeah, (laughs) are better in fantasy than in real life. But that doesn't make the fantasy element somehow less, meaning Mm -hmm. that the human psyche is sort of, uh, it's interesting that sexuality is a place where we can play with our dark side Mm -hmm. in a good way, in a way at least potentially good, you know, that potentially can create a kind of latitude for being human for each other to be silly together, to have a good sense of humor and to, you know, make space for this kind of grown up play. 
I think I love that you keep bringing up this word play a lot because I think this is something we do a lot as children yeah. and, and we don't do much as adults. And one of the things that I kind of want to hit on here, because I think people do get nervous about playing with their shadow or playing with those things that might be taboo or off limits or maybe even outside their value system, but they kind of tickle that spot in the back of their head for of arousal yeah. is, you know, when kids play like cops and robbers, exactly, they don't, we don't worry about them not having a moral floor. Exactly. Like we don't worry about them going, well, if he pretends to be a, a, a robber, then he's going to, he's really going to rob something and then he's going to get into drugs and then he's going to spiral out of control and he's going to just spend his entire life in prison because exactly. he's playing a game. But I, right. think, I think we oftentimes fear that we have as adults, no moral floor, that if we entertain an idea or a fantasy or a desire that might be, um, a little scary, a little dark. Yeah, exactly. But it's going to lead to a place that's like so dark and so noxious that we'll never ever be able to get away from yes, it. Absolutely. And that idea that we have that we possess no moral floor is false. Right, exactly. And it kind of is as you're pointing to very well. It's just that this idea that we play often with the darker side. And it's a good way to integrate it. It's a good way to actually not have it lurk in the background. In fact, the more we suppress it, push it away, are afraid of it the more power over us it in fact has. Mm. And, you know, like, again, watching these two dogs, they're like, they're in their teeth, you know, they're doing all these things that make it look like they're fighting, but they're playing with it. And then they're really nice then in the day to day. But there's, there's room for that. I think there's value in it. And I even go so far as to say that it elevates us. It helps us be better people. And even in a way helps us understand God and spirituality. And, you know, we tend to think, oh, this is like two different realms. They have nothing to do with each other. But I actually think so many people talk about that in that place of play and sort of self-acceptance and acceptance of other, that you can actually experience a kind of freedom and transcendence that we all need. That's such a valuable resource for living in the, the mundane, in the day to day. And that it includes some of this for whatever reason. It's just how it is to be human. I love that. Yeah. I'm okay. glad we covered this question. Yeah. So before we go on to the next question, I should have done this at the very beginning. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to give some advice to our listeners because we do get a lot of questions. And um, there's one type of question that we never really answer. Yeah. And, and I want to just throw this out there before we move on to the next question, just to guide people who want questions answered in the future. And um, I made this little card for the bottom of the screen. The, these segments that we do with you are not about granting you permission to do something. Right. You, the idea of these, is, of these interviews is to help make you the steward of your own sexuality and help you be confident in your ability to make decisions and experiment. And uh, if you want to submit a question, my advice to you, if you want to get it answered, is not to ask questions of like, is it okay if we like do this or is it okay if we explore with this? Because those right. just, those aren't the types of questions that Jennifer wants to answer because she doesn't want to be the arbiter of your sexuality. Right. Is that a fair thing to say? Absolutely. And I think it's, uh, you know, what I hope is to help people have ways to think about these questions in their lives. But of course, ultimately, we're all responsible we are responsible for our choices. We live in the consequences of our choices. So it's tempting sometimes to get someone else to tell you what to do. But ultimately, you still live in the consequences. So you have to think about how to think wisely about the choices you make. 
and especially in the realm of sexuality, it takes good judgment. It takes, you know, thoughtfulness and wisdom to be, you know, to make good, solid choices with it. But yeah, I think a lot of times we're sort of permission seekers as a way of getting out of that ultimate pressure on ourselves. Cool. Yes. We got the squawking baby off the floor. Yes. Talking into the microphone. Um, so I'm going to read this next one. I'm going to point the right. microphone at me. So maybe she doesn't get picked sure. up so much. Uh, this next question is uh, my husband and I have five kids in 10 years with our oldest now at 15 years old. So every kids, five kids from five to 15 now. In the last five years, I've noticed my need for non-sexually driven touch hold my hand, a hug with no wandering hands, an arm around my shoulder, play with my hair, etc. I realize that now I that now that I'm asking him to recognize and try to do that for me, that he feels like it's an in, an insatiable need of mine, and I feel like intercourse is an, insati- an insatiable need of his. It's hard for both of us to accept the other's offering when it feels forced or out of duty. Now I don't want to have now I don't want to have intercourse if he isn't giving me attention outside of our room. And it has become a forced point of contention mm-hmm. and one that is measure that is measurable. So it's now used as an, as ammunition in our other disagreements. So yeah. uh, what do we do about that? Okay, good. Um, it's, it's tough because the, the realm of sexuality oh, is oh. like um, it's a turf war is really what this couple's doing. And so the meaning is interfering with the ability to enjoy the sensual, right? And the spectrum of the sensual, because it's getting split into camps and then being used against one another. And so if she has the feeling that having intercourse is to let him win and to kind of deny my desire for more non-sexual touch, then she's not going to want to do it. And if he thinks giving her non-sexual touch is for her to win right and that she doesn't you know then necessarily want to give me the intercourse that I want then then he doesn't want to let her win and so they get into a kind of meaning standoff or they may resentfully give what the other wants but it never ends up feeling satisfying there's no peace that that this kind of underlying struggle is permeating the whole thing So the reason I say that is because that's something this couple has to look at, that they probably are pretty good at digging in and resisting one another as a way to have a sense of themselves and to not feel taken over by the other. Of course, in marriage, you pay a big price for that because you're you know, you have a combatant in bed with you, not a partner and a friend. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I know one of the things that um, that you probably talk about a lot and that David Schnarch talks about a lot is having a collaborative alliance. That's right. And, and what they're describing here seems like it's betraying a collaborative alliance. Alliance. Can you yeah. expound a little bit on what a collaborative alliance is and what that looks sure. like and, yeah, and kind right. of what it looks like to betray that? Good question. Yeah, well, a collaborative alliance is, and David Schnarch could articulate it, better than me, but I think that a collaborative alliance is essentially that you're both working to create something, a shared goal, a shared objective. That is, in this case, a good marriage and a good sexual relationship. And you're willing, you maybe have your differences, you're going to have your differences in any collaborative alliance, 
you're going to have um, different strengths and challenges, but you're willing in any collaborative alliance to do your part, to stand up and do your part to create that reality, even if the other person isn't. So it's unilateral. So you can have a collaborative alliance with somebody who doesn't want to do their part, such as a teenage child. Okay, A teenager, parents need to have collaborative alliances with whether or not the child is doing their half of that. And that is the parents taking up their responsibility to the child, even though the child's not thanking them, not giving them the validation back that they're a good parent. And so that's, uh, that's what a collaborative alliance looks like. So you're, you do 100% of what your responsibility is to create what you hold as important, whether or not your spouse does. So in this case, you would be not allowing yourself the indulgence of getting on the other side of that power struggle. You wouldn't say like, well, you didn't do this for me. I'm not doing this for you. You instead, it's a little tricky to articulate what you would do in this case, but you stand up for what's happening. You're honest about what's happening. We keep falling into this power struggle. And I'm very tempted to do it because I get angry when you do it, but I'm not going to do it that way. I want to have a good sexual relationship with you. I also want to be touched by you. I want sensuality and friendship to permeate the relationship. However you touch me, whether it's because we're having intercourse or you're just touching me as you walk past me, I want that kind of marriage. And I don't want to keep participating in this turf war with you. And so I'm going to do my part. I want you to do your part too. I want us to stop being childish because it's costing us a lot. So that would be one version of what a collaborative alliance sounds like where you confront yourself, you face what's actually happening, and then you do your part. Um, and so it sounds different than, hey, you haven't touched me. It's more like, I want that. I want there to be more generosity between us. I want for it to not be whether or not intercourse happened, but whether or not we have learned how to love each other in the way that we are with each other, whether right. that's fully sexual or somewhere on the spectrum of that. So, um, but it's very easy to, to, to not see your part in the destructive pattern, only see your spouse's part, and then to get keep getting tempted back into it because they make it so easy when the natural man response is to meet them at the same level that they're engaging you. Yeah. And I'm part of me. I love talking about this because I, I feel like one of my personal struggles with uh, when in maintaining a collaborative alliance is the best, the best version of a collaborative alliance requires or brings out the best in me. That's right. And I, it, I'm always tempted to slip into like resentment or, right. or, or a block, like, maintain my agreement, but do it begrudgingly with a negative attitude. So what, what, what advice do you have or how do you maintain that collaborative alliance from the best in you, even when your partner maybe is misbehaving? And you're, you're, you're taking it up with yourself and your relationship with God, not with your spouse. I'm doing this because it's the right way to be. Because it's my commitment to the kind of person I want to be. I remember talking to a couple that had just been in a combative alliance for years. And there had been infidelity and there had been hostility and rage. I mean, just, just a combative alliance for so long. And they were both so unhappy. And, you know, they both started coming to terms more with who they each had been in the marriage. But I asked them the question of, like, what was 
what was your idea before you got married of what you wanted your marriage to be? And how did you expect yourself to behave in that marriage? And they each articulated it. And it was like, how have you betrayed yourself in this? How have you betrayed your own idea of the kind of partner you were going to be? And you owe it to yourself. I mean, not to mention your spouse and God and your children, but to yourself to live up to that expectation. I mean, that's sometimes the only piece that you get in life is knowing you did your part. You know, I talk about in the in the relationship course that a conflict that my, my sister said it was fine for me to tell the story. But when we were younger, they, we had a conflict between us. And I felt like I had apologized. I had done everything I needed to do to address my part. And she just wasn't, she wasn't going to let it go. And I remember there was just sort of this moment where it was kind of coming to a head. And I just realized, like, she may never let this go. She may never forgive me. And what more can I do? And I had to kind of dig deep and realize like, I, I just have to know that I've done everything I can, which isn't, which wasn't yet, I wasn't yet there. And that I had to really come to the table and fully know that I'd done everything I could do, be clear between myself, my conscience and God, you know, that I had done all I could do. And, you know, in the story turned out that was sort of the, it all shifted then. Um, But it wasn't about my sister so much. I mean, it was like I cared about her and I wanted it to be right, but I knew I didn't have full control over whether or not she would do her part. I just had to dig deep and really take myself on about my part because I had to have the peace of mind that I had done that. That was all I had control over. And so much in life, that's what it comes down to. You can't make other people understand you. You can't make other people love you. You have to know that you have dealt with who you are as cleanly as you can. And that's also what makes you a trustworthy person is if you know, you know, that's when I see people start to trust their spouse is when their spouse has really taken it on themselves, the issue of their trustworthiness. So that's what I would say. You just keep reminding yourself of your responsibility to yourself, to your own moral compass, not to whether or not your spouse is doing their part. Yeah. And I really love, um, she's got a bugger. (laughs) Sorry. That when you recognize what's not your responsibility and what is somebody else's responsibility Mm -hmm. and what's outside of your control, Mm -hmm. it actually opens up your mind to seeing that there really is a lot that's within your control. That's right. Um, because when you're focusing on trying to change somebody else or this, this impasse that's going on, it can feel a little hopeless because you feel like they're just not getting on board. That's right. When you release yourself from that, um, you, yeah, you, you gain, you're empowered. You're empowered to change your circumstances. You know, that AA adage, I can't, I never can say it, but like basically grant me the you know, the equanimity to let go of the things I can't control, the courage to address the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. It's like yeah. profoundly true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not just for alcoholics. Yeah. <laughs> for everybody. Everybody. That's very, very challenging in the difficulties of life to keep your attention on what you do have control of and let go of what you don't have control of. I think sometimes that's the harder thing, really. Yeah. And and really being wise about which is which. But I absolutely agree with you, Angela, that if you let go of the trying to control other people's responses to and dig deep on who you are, 
that's the only place you find peace, but also it frees up your resources to really grow. When mm-hmm. you do that. Cause when you're, when you're in this kind of battle with each other and you're both just not willing to move. Yep. If one person moves, that disrupts the whole thing. Yes, it, break, right. it breaks that cycle. And so you really do have a lot of control over breaking that cycle than yep. you realize. You do. And you just have to give up your ego. I mean, to do it, that's the only thing, although that's not a small thing. It can terrify us to give up the power struggle and the ego that's in that. But the paradox is when you're in those control struggles, those power struggles with a spouse or somebody else, you are in fact actually giving away so much of your control. You're actually reinforcing your dependency. And it's interesting how easily we do that without even tracking it fully. Right. And the nice thing about this situation is both things are positive things. Like yeah. If, if That's right. Um, having that touch outside of out of sexual circumstances can be positive for both parties and having sexual intercourse can be positive for both parties. It's just letting I mean, go really honestly, what I would say to them is, is if you want to try hard to join each other's team and stop treating this like a turf war, if you really want good intercourse, have good non sexual touch. I mean, I don't even know non-sexual. Criteria. There's a way for both of you to win here. hundred percent. In fact, you yeah. both win much, much more. You know, I think the couples that are the hap- happily, most happily sexual, there's just sensuality kind of permeates the relationship. And there's not a lot of distinction on whether or not it's sexual or not, except for privacy and, and, you know, staying away from the kids and so on. But that is to say there's, there's kind of love that's getting communicated through the way one is touched. So it makes it not just about intercourse, but a kind of deep kind of sexual love that's also being expressed in the day-to-day, the mundane. Mm-hmm. And so learning how to do that, you know, can I, for the husband, can I think about how to make love to my wife in the way I touch her during the day? Mm-hmm. Touch her yeah. like she's a woman I love and am attracted to, right? And, you know, and for the woman to not think of intercourse as being like this event so much as is there a way to receive love and affection here and give love and affection that's in that same continuum of loving through physicality so you know that's when sex is really good right mm-hmm. it's when it's all it's all the pleasure but all the love that goes with it way to bring that full circle yes mm-hmm. okay we've got one more question sure you want to read this one sure it takes me a really long time to orgasm and it makes me feel bad that my husband has to spend more time for me to finish than it takes for him to. He never makes me feel bad. He says he enjoys it, but I still feel like I'm taking more than I'm giving. We've tried to figure out other ways to change it up, but the only way I finish is after a long session of oral sex. It's awesome. I just feel really needy. Okay. So I think a couple of things. One is that, Um, there is a little bit of an inherent imbalance in male-female sexuality that you kind of just have to get over a little bit as a woman, (laughs) which is, you know, that women take, women, you know, have, once they become aroused, will stay aroused much longer. But there is more time for a woman to become aroused than there is for a man. And nothing's going wrong. And many men, if not most men, 
genuinely enjoy it, right? Like they genuinely enjoy the time being sexual. They enjoy giving pleasure to their partner. They, they, you know, they, when they interview men, they'll talk about their peak experiences are giving pleasure to their partner, right? So it's, it's a great part of masculinity is that they, they genuinely enjoy, <laughs> and I'm grateful for it, that mm-hmm. process of bringing their wife into bliss. So in some ways to just accept it would actually yeah. help you a lot because you could stop feeling guilty Stop feeling afraid of it and just let him love you and bless you in this way. It's good for both of you. And if you're sitting there judging yourself the whole time, it actually makes it harder to have an orgasm. Yes. So you're prolonging it if you're sitting there feeling like, oh, I'm such a loser for taking so long. And you're like, no, I, you know, I'm a woman and that's okay. (laughs) I want want to throw a caveat in there too. I think men, I absolutely agree with men enjoy giving their partners pleasure. And the caveat is, of just like any gift, if the gift isn't well received, yeah. it, it makes it uh, harder to give the gift in the future. That's true. Exactly. And so, and so when we love, men love giving to a partner who receives the love that we give. Absolutely. Openly. That's right. If, I mean, if that love is received with like, oh, oh, oh. I'm like sorry. It's, I'm sorry. I feel so, you know, then it. It's no fun anymore. No, it takes a lot of the pleasure exactly. and the joy out of giving out of Absolutely. It. And exactly. And so, you know, I think in the women's, in the art of desire course, you know, I talk to women about this, the art of receiving, which Mm -hmm. can be more challenging than giving. I mean, because you you are like letting somebody impact you. You're letting somebody bless your life. You're letting them matter to you. You're surrendering into that and letting yourself be worthy of that. That's not, those aren't small things, especially if you've been taught you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. That is such a gift to grow in that way. It really does. It makes, there's the receiver and the received Men want to be received generally. I'm, I know I'm speaking in massive stereotypes right now, but okay. as a group, you know, men want to be received. And so there is real strength in letting somebody bless your life. And it makes you both better for being able to do that. And it's not a small thing, but it's a valuable thing. So let yourself be worth that time. I mean, that's kind of my response is, well, how much time are you worth? You know, I, probably all of it. <laughs> and then the other thing I would say is women are can do a good job of keeping a pilot light going. I think that's really valuable. If you like being sexual and you want to have it be an easier, easier to move into that arousal, you can do things that keep you feeling aroused. That is you can, you know, before, you know, put on lingerie, you can spend time taking a bath. What are the things that get you into that mindset that you are looking forward to this and you you're already halfway aroused. Okay. You know, there's a lot of things you can do that kind of keep that going. You know, I personally think about sex a lot. Like I'll think about the night before I like have those thoughts in my mind a lot. Um, I, they're, they're lovely thoughts. (laughs) They make me happy, but they also make it easier to kind of move into that space again. And so I think if you're afraid of those thoughts, you might be trying to kind of tuck it away and and keep it sort of behind closed doors rather than integrating it more into your way of being. Right. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can speak from experience on this too, because I, I like I could have written this question a while ago. Uh Um, And I found that there is, 
there's power in the words that I speak to myself in my mind in those moments. If, if I'm in the middle of that moment, I'm thinking, Oh, I'm taking so long. And I, I just need to relax. And, you know, it's going to, like you said, it's going to make it worse, but I have been really intentional lately in saying I deserve this. Yep. This feels really good. And being able to switch the words that I say in my head really yes. helps. It's so important. It's so important. Yeah. I, I'm really glad you said that because if it's like a self-measurement moment and, you know, I, I better not fail. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really anti-erotic. You'd never want a lover to say that to you, right? So you want to speak to yourself in a way that's kind and compassionate. And there are worse things than not being able to orgasm. It's like, well, you know, it might not work out. I right. might not be able to tonight. That's okay. If it's even said in just this loving, self-loving way, like, that's all right. You know, I think as long as you kind of can say, it's okay for me to be human, it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, but it's that self-judgment piece. You really do want to learn how to relate to yourself at least, you know, at least as kindly as you'd expect to be related to. And that orgasm doesn't have to be a destination. No. Like, you can find pleasure in the journey of getting there. And if you don't quite get there, you can try again tomorrow and yeah. let it keep going. Yes. And there's entire approaches that are about delaying orgasm as right. a way of expanding that pre-orgasmic period because mm -hmm. it's a great period of exploration and, and depth. So, you know, yeah, you could try again the next night and you'll actually find getting aroused easier because you have all that arousal that's been integrated into your body. Yeah. On, on the other side of the coin, I, I know it can be really frustrating to get to like feel immense amounts of pleasure and feel like you're approaching orgasm, but never be able to cross that threshold. Yeah. Is there any advice you have for, for people who feel like they're kind of stuck in that? I, I, I get a lot of pleasure and I can get revved up, but I just can't seem to like cross that threshold over into the orgasm. Yeah. I mean, I don't entirely, I mean, it depends a little bit on what's happening for people Right. Why, you know, sometimes there's just meanings that are operating that they're afraid to orgasm or they, you know, maybe came out of abuse. There's like, there's often reasons why their body just kind of won't let them do that. And I think when th this is a simple answer and I don't have all the answers for this, That's but okay. I think, I think when it's in a position of self measurement, it's going to be much harder to be able to do that then a position of self-possession self-kindness and it's like i'm not going to measure myself by something i can't control i can't control whether or not i orgasm mm -hmm. i can control how i'm in relationship to myself i can control the quality and quantity of touch that i have i can control you know the, the way i think about myself and the orgasm is out of my control so it's like again letting go of that allows you to focus on how am I going to be in relationship to myself as a woman? How am I going to be in relationship to my body? Because a lot of times I think when people's anxiety is going up, it's around this issue of, am I broken? You know, it, am I allowed to have this pleasure? There's a, there's a meaning that's coming into play. It's a little bit like I have to go to sleep. I have to, if I can't go to sleep, I'm not, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, it's like, well, you don't never go to sleep. As soon as you can say, it's not, I'm not going to worry about something I can't control. <laughs> I'm going to do things that I can control. That's the biggest advice I would give because it helps Love you it. just line yourself up psychologically. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh,
I feel like we got more than our money's worth on these <laughs> three questions. Um, is there anything else you want to say before we before we sign off? No, I think that's it. Oh, do you have stuff coming up, you guys? I don't know if... Come here for a second. I want you to just introduce Aurora to everybody. Yes. <laughs> this is our this small is human. This squawking baby. He's so cute. Say hi. Hi, Aurora. You're adorable. Thank, Thank your you. parents. Thank you all for being so uh, patient with the squeaks and squawks in the background and the <laughs> jingles and jangles. Um, what do we have coming up? I, I don't think we have anything huge on, on the on the calendar at the moment. I'm just wrapping up an Epic Wives experiment and we just did that awesome summit with you, the um, yeah. Are, Are We, we roommates, roommates Summit, that which people can go get the recordings of at areweroommates.com. Yeah. And I think, I mean, if people wanted to pay attention to one thing that that I'm doing, well, we're kind of both doing it right now, you participated, is the uh, Rethinking Porn Addiction show. Yeah. So on a weekly basis, um, a group, there's about five of us who get together and we have sexual health conversations specifically revolving around the topic of pornography. And um, they've been really helpful to a lot of people. And so if you want, if that's something that is uh, showing up in your life and uh, you want the tools and resources to handle it um, without all the shame, that's a great resource. So yeah, thanks for tossing back at us. We're looking forward to doing more of these. Yeah, that's one thing is we're just, you know, I'm hoping this year with my podcast to just get a little more, I'm going to be doing one where it's, where I'm actually working with couples. Uh-huh. So that, that style. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then this is a little more scheduled. So it'll be a little more um, deliberate this year rather than right. just every time I get invited. So well, that's the thing for everybody to ask too. If you're watching live right now, you're welcome to drop in and tell Jennifer, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And then one last thing, I guess, before we go is if you want to submit a question for the next round, go to mormonmarriages.com slash ask, A-S-K. And you can submit an anonymous question there and we'll consider it for a future episode. Great. And we'll, we'll try to have Aurora be a guest on every show. <laughs> we'll try and get, we'll try and anyway, Thank you so much, Jennifer. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.